reading tonight out of the book of Mark, looking at Mark 4th chapter and verses 35 to 41. Mark 4:35. And that same day when the even was come, and he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was into the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? This account that we have in Mark is actually found in more than just the book of Mark. It's found in Matthew and Luke as well. As a matter of fact, as I was considering this, I was struggled with which passage to read tonight. So when I struggle, I help myself out by organizing. So I did. I organized. I put the three passages into a spreadsheet, (laughs) and I compared them by highlighting and underlining and examining them against one another, just so you kind of get the how things kind of work in somebody's mind. That's the way it was for me. And I decided that I would use Mark, because Mark has more details in it than the, of any of the other two. Probably because, and I think I mentioned this some time ago, that Mark, the book of Mark is considered to be Peter's gospel, because he was a protege of Peter. And to that point, he probably, it could have been Peter's boat that they were in, the ship. So Peter was, was there, no doubt. And uh, when he detailed the incident to Mark, he gave him, you know, more of the uh, narrative. So what is interesting to find in this particular passage are some of the details that aren't found in the other passages. It says, and on the same day when even was come, he saith unto them. It tells us that their departure from uh, the area on the lake that they were on, and we know that they were by the lake because in the first chapter, first verse of this chapter 4, it mentions that they were by the seaside. It says that the time of day was even, evening. So by that, we could sense that if it wasn't dark, it was going to be dark soon. So they were going to be going out onto a lake in the evening time when it could be, you know, just a little bit more concerning to be out on the water. And he tells us that he says unto them, it doesn't say that in in uh, one of the other uh, Gospels, but it does tell us that Jesus literally said unto them, let us pass over onto the other side. So they, by his instruction, got into this ship. And then it also says, and when they had sent away the multitude, another detail that Mark gives us that the other two don't give us, apparently there was a multitude 
that was there, and he was teaching them, and we find that in some of the other Gospels, but it tells us here that they sent them away, indicating that it's possible that as they were getting into the ship, that they wanted to come along for the ride as well. And it tells us also that there were also with him other little ships, another detail that's specific to Mark. And that's where you might conclude that they were in the main ship that they were talking, that they were speaking of, and yet there were other little ships, and some of the multitude might have wanted to hitch a ride on the other little ships. And it tells us then that there arose a great storm of wind, and it does say that the wind came in the other gospels, but it doesn't tell us that the ship, when the waves beat unto it, the ship was almost full. So it was more than just the wind blowing and the high waves. The water was literally coming into the ship so that they were, uh, so that they noticed that it was nearly full. Another detail that's interesting, it tells us that Jesus was in the hinder part of the ship, the back part of it, and it, it says he was asleep on a pillow. He found some comfortable place to be a detail that's omitted in the others, likely because he was exhausted. When we read the narrative in context, we see that he was busy that entire day teaching the multitudes that were there. And in his humanity, he was likely just exhausted, which may explain the reason uh, initially that he wanted to take the ship and get to the other side to get away from the multitude. He's very, very tired. And it tells us that because of the ship being almost full, they awaken him and send him to him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? They were afraid they were going to die. It was so so um, treacherous out there. And it tells us that he arose and he rebuked the wind. And he said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. A great calm. It says that in all three accounts. So apparently what was so tremendously boisterous out there, which was so unsettling out there, in contrast became completely gone like a sea of glass. And he says unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And it tells us they feared exceedingly and said to one another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and sea obey him. They were terrified. They were out on a sea, out on the sea, likely at night, with the wind blowing and the waves rolling, filling up the boat, and they were sure that they were going to die. I've never been in imminent danger on the water. I have been in a storm on a boat that was a cruise ship. Uh, And we were in the forward part of the ship in the observation deck watching the waves crashing over the bow but we weren't in imminent danger as a matter of fact probably the only danger to us being on that ship was that we might spill something as we were going through the buffet line other than that you know it was not that big a deal but the power of a storm is really something that is incredible to witness Uh, Kim and I have a little place on the Oregon coast on the lake, about two hours from here. That's our little hideaway. And uh, several years ago, we were on that lake 
when a massive storm blew through. It was something like I'd never really seen before in that area and not much like that before in my life. The wind was blowing so strong that it was really difficult to even stand up in the face of the wind. And we had lashed our little pontoon boat to the pier securely, and it was it was rocking quite a bit. It was kind of galloping in the waves, etc. But we had noticed that a couple of houses down, our neighbor's boat, which had been tied um, fore and aft, the uh, forward rope broke. We uh, the forward rope broke loose, and so the boat was you know in danger of going completely astray. But it was at least just, you know, jostling up and down and slamming against the dock where it was, where it was. And our neighbors weren't there. You know, like us, it's an occasional uh, visit to a vacation residence. So they weren't there. And trying to be a good neighbor, Kim and I decided that we would go over there and see if we could secure the boat. So we made our way over. And as we got out onto their dock, seriously, the wind was blowing so hard that we had difficulty standing up. But we, we braved the storm and we went, uh, I jumped onto the boat and then I saw that the, the, that rope that was holding the front of the boat had broken, but there was another rope inside the boat. So I lashed it to the front and then tossed it to Kim and Kim pulled the front of the boat in and we lashed it into place and then we secured the canopy on it and, you know, felt really good about this situation, even though we, you know, we were able to safely secure the boat, but our lives weren't in danger. But it was quite a storm, and it gave me a sense of what it's like to be in a storm. And then more recently, Kim and I were coming back from a little vacation for my birthday down in Mexico uh, several weeks ago, and our connecting flight took us through Phoenix. And it was a flight that, that landed there in the early evening and was going to depart for Portland around 8 o'clock or so. And so... Um, it was nighttime, therefore, and, you know, it shouldn't be any problem getting out of Phoenix. We thought it would be easy connecting flight. But uh, while we were there, the plane was delayed because of some sort of equipment issue. And so uh, we were about a half hour behind schedule, and we were watching our clocks and thinking about, oh, it's getting later and later. But that was the, really the least of our problems because as we, had, as we lined up in the uh, Southwest Airline you know, take-your-seat-by-number line, uh, we were delayed even further because a passenger that had boarded before us made such a ruckus about their situation and their seating arrangements that they finally had to escort the person off the plane, which made us late by another half hour or so. But finally, when we got into the plane, as we're securely into our seats, we went through the obligatory announcements of safety and seat belts and masks that come down and put it on your face if you need oxygen. And they headed out onto the runway, but we noticed that we were having just a little bit of a difficulty getting to our spot on the runway. And it was kind of, the plane kind of felt a little weird going that direction. And we thought, you know, we didn't really think too much of it. We figured, you know, we're in good hands. The pilot knows what they're doing. So along we went until finally it became clearly apparent that we were not going to be going onto the runway because the plane was really not acting quite right. So we made our way back to the terminal. And as we were back to the terminal, the pilot announced to us, that uh, there was a windstorm that was so um, boisterous that we were not going to be able to take off right then. He said we would just stay right here and we would wait for the storm to blow through and then we would be on our way. So now, it's even later, 
and we're in that plane, and he was not kidding. The storm did come through, and I have never been uh, on a plane and felt that type of rocking uh, activity on a plane. I'm thankful that we weren't in the air, but as it was, the wind would come up and it would sweep under the wings. It was like being on an amusement park ride, sitting in a plane in a terminal in Phoenix, Arizona, to the point where I was so thankful that he hadn't taken off. And as a matter of fact, to make us feel better about our situation, he informed us that with the 50-mile-an-hour crosswinds, if we had tried to take off, we would have crashed. So that made me feel better, obviously. So we are now in the plane. It's getting later and later. And finally, it became, you know, obvious that we were not going to be going anywhere. And we deplaned. And, you know, just to wrap it up, we ended up spending the night in the Phoenix airport and catching a flight at 6.30 the next morning, which wasn't a very pleasant experience. But it's the power of a storm. It's what it can do to people. And in this narrative, the men in the ship were in fear of their lives. And they were looking for a way to survive the battering of the wind and the waves. Now, to their credit, they went to Jesus. He was in the back of the boat, asleep on the pillow, as as we hear. And they looked for him to save them. To their discredit, they lost sight of the fact that they were doing exactly what Jesus had said. So their lack of faith and fear was unjustified. They said, don't you care that we perish? We're not going to make it. You said that we were going to get in the boat and go to the other side, and that just does not look like it's going to happen. Putting, adding to the narrative, but indeed, that's exactly what they were saying to Jesus. And that's just not my opinion, that they were lacking faith. It says in the text, And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? So he nailed it right there. That's just what he believed. We read in verse 39 that he arose and he rebuked the wind and he said unto the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Consider for a moment what power it took to do what he said. That this person, Jesus, who was with these men in the boat, who they had been uh, spending time with, in around Galilee and Judea and the surrounding areas where he they witnessed the wonderful things that he did and heard the wonderful things that he said had yet to see a display like this that just absolutely blew their minds it's a, consider for a second just what kind of power it would take in order for someone to speak to the wind and the waves and say peace be still and they would Settle down. Only God can do that. It tells us in Psalm 62, power belongs to God. In Job 26, 14, it says, a thunder of his power, who can understand? Psalm 79, 11 says, thy greatness, the greatness of thy power. Nahum 1 says, the Lord is great in power. Isaiah 26.4 says, The Lord God is everlasting power. Psalm 65.6 says, Who by thy strength establishes the mountains, being girded with power. No wonder David said in Psalm 63, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee to, for thee to see thy power. 
That's what David wanted. He wanted to see the power of God. And he does. He has all power. This past week, I joined a few friends to work on a project on the Oregon coast. A mutual friend of ours and of many of you has a home there in Pacific City. And uh, it was uh, our project to replace the deck on the back of the house. It goes out towards the ocean. And uh, it's many years old, and it suffered some damage, and it was just time. When we arrived on the scene, uh, the, it had been arranged for the boards of the deck to be taken off, so they were set aside. But when we stood at the back of the porch and looked out towards the ocean, what became incredibly apparent to us that before we could do a single thing, the ground needed to be leveled. The sand needed to be leveled. And uh, I had brought along a shovel and a rake, and I got to tell you, I thought about those and went, whew, this is not a good thing. But fortunately, the foreman, the person that was in charge of this project, had arranged for a small backhoe to be brought onto the site. And so what would have taken us most of the week to move the sand, he was able to do in a little bit more than a half a day. That he pulled all of that sand away and leveled it out so that we could begin the project of setting the pier blocks and constructing the deck. And I thought about that, how small we are. I looked at that sand and I thought, just what would a shovel and a rake do here? You know, even the backhoe, it took a half a day to move that area uh, and make it flat. And well aware of the fact that if the waves were to break that close to the house in an instant, depending on which way the tide was going, either sand, all that sand could have been pulled out or more sand could have been dropped in. That's, compared to the power of God, I felt so very, very small. You know, what kind of power does God have? It's visible, visible to us. In Romans one twenty, it says this, The things around us reveal to us the power of God. And these men in the ship were witnesses to the great power of the Son of God. They were witnesses there. Romans says the things around us. What was around us? They were about ready to be swamped in a boat. And Jesus stood up and rebuked the wind and the waves and showed what power there was in the, in, by the Lord. And there's so many things that come to mind when the question is asked that they asked. They asked this. What manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Well, besides what's revealed in this text, that he's all powerful, we know what kind of, what manner of man Jesus is. He's loving, forgiving, humble. He's compassionate. He's gentle. He's patient, prayerful. All of these things. All of these things. But makes, but what strikes me as I read this, that what is valuable to consider this evening is not what manner of man Jesus is, because we know that. We've had experience with him. We know what he's like and all of these attributes. But rather, what manner of men were his disciples in the boat? They should have been looking introspectively. That should have been something that they should have thought, hmm, What's with us after Jesus had rebuked them? But we get no indication of that. And by extrapolation, to make this practical, what manner of persons are we 
as followers of Christ. We've seen some marvelous things, haven't we? We've seen the hand of the Lord move in great ways. And so we can ask what manner of man Christ is, but it's more valuable, I think, to us in this particular instance to think about what what manner of person are we as followers of Christ. Have you ever considered why David is considered by the Lord to be a man after his own heart? Ever thought about that? You know, it's, I think it's rooted in this, that he fearlessly trusted in the power of God. I think that was a thing that differentiates, differentiates David from the, certainly the people of his day and historically because it seems to stand. He was a man after God's own heart. Imagine for a moment, if you will, that he came onto this scene of a great battle as just a lad, really. And the armies of the Philistines and the Israelites were stalemated. They, they were about to go into battle, but the battle had not ensued because a champion of the Philistines comes out and he challenges them. And he says, look, he says, why sacrifice all of these men? So many words. Why don't I come out and fight for my nation and you send somebody to fight for your nation and the person that prevails will win the battle. And absolutely nobody on the Israelite side would go to war with this man. Nobody would fight him. And along comes David. Uh, can you just imagine? He volunteers to fight the giant. He's the one out of all the people that's going to fight this giant. Can you imagine that? A giant. Not just a big man. A man who's expert in the art of war. A man who was wielding ginormous, deadly weapons. And David volunteers to come against him and his weapons of war? A slingshot. And five smooth stones. And trust in the Lord. It seems like not a fair fight until you add the last component. When the powerful God of the universe is on your side, you can face any giant. Listen to this. It's just David. And David says to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul says unto David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth. And he is a man of war from his youth. And David says unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took the lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him, and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he rose against me, I caught him by his beard, and smote him, and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing, seeing, catch this now, seeing that he hath defied the armies of the living God. He's telling about the time that he fought a couple of wild animals, but the point isn't that he was, that he prevailed against them, even though it is notable that he did, because I'm sure that if a lion or a bear came after my sheep, I'd have one less sheep. But David prevailed, and he said that this man has done what? Defied the armies of the living God. David said, moreover, and the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. 
And so then he goes up against him. And listen, then David said unto the Philistine Goliath, okay, thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee, and I will take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day under the fowls of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. He didn't do it for his honor and glory. He did it in defense of the Lord God. And all the assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not by sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. What manner of persons are we? Well, I think we're among those that trust the Lord. I believe that. We've had an opportunity many, many times to trust Him. And He has never failed us. He has always come to our rescue. He has the power to calm the storms of our life. He has the power to give us victory when the battle rages. And he's promised to give us power after the Holy Spirit indwells us. So not only is he there on our behalf, he's there in us to work through us. That's the power of the Lord. He demonstrated it in a little ship on the Sea of Galilee to a handful of disciples, and they marveled at it. He demonstrates it in our lives every day as we follow him with all of our hearts. I've been asked, do we really need the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? Well, besides the simple and direct answer of yes, I'd like to add this. If you have a passion to serve the Lord... You can shovel sand if you want, but there is a better way. You can do your service with the power of God. And it is a better way. It is the way that the Lord has designed. May the Lord help us. This is a good way. It is the Lord's way. And it's a way that gives us victory. And he'll give us victory again tonight. Do you have something that's on your heart? Is there a storm in your life? Is there a situation that needs to be resolved? Don't wonder if the Lord can do it. Believe that the Lord will do it. Seek him and reach out to him with all your heart. If you're not saved here tonight, and it's possible that in this congregation this evening, somebody here doesn't know the Lord. Well, we implore you to seek his face. He came to save you from your sin. He came to give you the power to live victoriously. He came to give you a hope that's everlasting. That comes in the name and the power of the Lord. And he will be with us here tonight as we come out and worship at these altars of prayer.